Alright, welcome back everybody. My name is Alex Davis and this is the Faultline Podcast. This is accompanying edition number 914 and joining me as usual, our esteemed editor Tommy Flanagan. Hello. And from a different postcode this time, my esteemed colleague Rafi Cohen. Hello. Boo London. Yeah, boo, boo London. Oh, we're booing Rafi then. I thought I was fairly mean <laughs> to, to kick things off with. Well, basically I am. <laughs> but, uh, right, so, um, yeah. It's been a fairly busy week, I think, Tommy. There's a lot going on. And uh, your diary's been fairly full, I gather. It has. Are you referring to the the bob? Well, By any chance? Power levels have been <laughs> The bob is back. That's Fresh good. trim, as promised. Uh, yeah, thanks, guys. Um, the, the other exciting thing to happen this week is um, the IBC invitation floodgates have well and truly opened. So they're coming in thick and fast and getting us well in the mood now. Just three weeks to go. So, um, yeah, elsewhere, uh, this week I spoke to two vendors uh, who, on paper, you would think are quite similar. They're both loosely positioned as decentralized CDN technology providers, which is highly relevant to the conversation we had last week with Alex. But kind of once you scratch below the surface, they really aren't on the same page at all. And that's where the problem lies, really. So, on one hand, we have an Italian firm called Mainstreaming, and on the other, we have a UK-based company called Ideas, uh, the E being a three. Um, and I'm, I'm not going to go into massive amounts of detail trying to explain the respective technologies, partly because I don't understand it um, in, in its entirety, but um, but also because we be here all day. Um, so what, what I kind of gleaned from the two respective discussions is this absolute marketing headache that this the, the firms in this field in particular are facing, which is something we've been aware of for a while, but it just seems to be getting worse and worse. And that leads into the question um, of, of where the newly formed CDN Alliance can help potentially sort this out by working with standards groups to level the playing field and improve communications, that kind of thing. We're sceptical, but it could... It would certainly make our jobs a lot easier instead of having to jump on the video call and speak to a CEO for an hour every time we need, or a CTO for an hour every time we need to understand it is what you're actually offering because your website is so trash. And I'm certain that would, in turn, that would lead to more business. But anyway, that is a conversation for another day. So we'll get back to business. We have ideas which sells itself very deliberately, vaguely, as an advanced video pipeline, an AVP, while mainstreaming markets itself more as a private network. And the truth is that neither of those descriptions do it justice and accurately describe what either of them do. So Ideas is this really kind of uh, jack-of-all-trades type company that creates these highly bespoke, tailored pieces of software, covering encoding and media delivery and network analytics, that kind of thing. And then that then goes on to form software as a service platforms for bigger companies, the likes of Limelight, Limelight Networks, which came to ideas recently with scalability problems. And that's a really interesting case study that we've got in full in the in the interview in this week's issue. Um, mainstreaming, on the, on the other hand, is it calls itself a, a private network, but really it's a peered network that benefits from having 4,300 internet interconnections with ISPs, which we're told is the sixth largest peered network in the world. Quite impressive, considering we've never heard of them before. And it's having these direct relationships that allows it to get its proprietary intelligent media delivery software platform, the IMDP, through the door at telcos 
and, and it enables what it calls one hop delivery and it claims to be the only company that can change the routing table where it can manage all video streams and this is where lists of network destinations and surrounding network topologies are stored that kind of jazz so it can actively modify the routing table in the event of a poor connection and change the route of video stream to a different connection where content is cached um it's a big claim one i'm skeptical of but um we'll we'll, do, we'll dig into that whether it is um, the only only vendor out there that does that um another cool tool here is that isps can allocate additional bandwidth for live streams in the home but by doing that has to reduce the available bandwidth for on-demand content and that is that sounds very much like throttling it's a bit of a gray area and that again is a sensitive subject which is another conversation for another day um and I thought um, it was quite interesting, actually, that the mainstreaming's CEO, Antonio, described the company as the VMware of CDNs. That's a, a slightly arrogant comparison of the virtualization of complex architectures to the virtualization of video delivery infrastructures over physical nodes. And <laughs> when I when I asked the guys at Ideas if they felt similarly about um, about this comparison, they were like, absolutely not, refuted that. And they took us down a whole different rabbit hole about how Ideas doesn't want to grow and it's just happy being where it is, being niche and disruptive, which is not something we hear very often. And um, another uh, thing, uh, frustrating thing about mainstreaming uh, is that they told me about this huge deal coming up scheduled to be announced at um, IBC and I wish we could have written about it this week because it's going to be um, uh, super big so yeah hopefully they get the green light for Amsterdam and we'll have um, the first look exclusive of that because I've already got all the notes on it um, and uh, mainstreaming by the way also it already has uh, Sky Italia on its book so that's a big clue there um, on the roadmap for ideas looking forward is a new virtual production suite which we were the first to get a sneak preview of this week and that's set to launch in Q1 next year as well as a plan for ideas to market itself more assertively to quote which ties back quite nicely to the overarching message here about why this space is such a perpetual headache in marketing terms so they're they're addressing that and i mean we should be spending less time trying to figure out ultimately what it is you do more time doing what we do best which is scrutinizing it and laying out the competitive landscape and recording these um, ranty podcasts that kind of thing so we're doing our, our part so someone please please find a cure ultimately thank you <laughs> well, what we need tommy are uh, vin numbers for companies isn't it little digits that describe you know which bit of the osi you're at and what oh, territories God, you're in such an alex thing to say oh it? yeah i would love it <laughs> i would dig that so much but thank you very much tommy thank uh, you. we will move on of course now to rafi who this week was looking at facebook surrendering dda to google exposing vulnerabilities so rafi could you tell us more please Sure, so DDA stands for data-driven attribution, which sounds like one of those very bland ad tech terms that crops up in every press release. Um, so then it kind of, it seemed weird when I noticed a few different stories in my inbox this week that were really quite inconsequential, uh, just about various tiny ad tech tools and initiatives that Google and Facebook were phasing in and out. Um, but then I realized that they essentially both Google and Facebook had these products called data-driven attribution that weren't linked. Um, and one seemed to be on its way out and one seemed to be on its way in. So I was like, hmm, what's going on here? Um, so if we start with the Facebook one, um, this was a tool that essentially assigned credits to touch points. Uh, touch points are like clicks or impressions or page visits 
on a Facebook app if you're on your phone. Um, and it basically tries to rank all these different interactions uh, to gauge the impact this has on conversions. So like buying something or adding it to your cart or whatever. And obviously the way it does this is you kind of like leave a digital footprint in all your different actions and then it can be like, well, if you clicked here and then you added this to the cart, then that was successful and we should do more of that. Um, but they removed it in April uh, or they removed it from almost all of their advertisers, mainly because uh, the arrival of iOS 14.5 uh, kind of ring fenced most of the user data that's needed in order to do this tracking. So uh, basically, iPhone user data was kind of no longer available for them to do this. Um, so they got rid of DDA and um, have brought in this new thing, which is called Conversions API, which kind of does the same thing, but a bit more of a roundabout and maybe slightly less effective way. Um, but then the tiny bit of news this week was essentially that uh, Facebook has just phased out the beta program for DDA. So essentially it doesn't exist in any form across its platform. Uh, seems pretty normal, just a you know company phasing out something that doesn't work. But then I remember that I've seen loads of stories in the past few months about how Google have just brought out something called DDA. Um, and yeah, in September they launched their own DDA to move away from what was last click attribution, which I assume was very much the same thing, but only focusing on the very last click rather than the whole, you know, infinitely long journey to get somewhere. Um, so much it was very similar to Facebook. It hopes to analyze marketing movements leading up to conversion and then finds patterns within ad interaction. And Google were promising an 18% reduction in cost of sales compared to last click attribution. Uh, and this kind of just got me thinking, you know, how come Google's DDA can flourish, but Facebook's can't in exactly the same environment, which is essentially Apple pissing them both off. Um, and the reason is really because Google is just much less vulnerable when it comes to advertising overall. Um, it's much less reliant on third-party mobile user data. So if Apple decides, as it did, if Apple decides to block off 1 billion iPhones from user data, Google's got you know over 3 billion active Android devices to fall back on and probably at least 2.5 billion of these are smartphones. Uh, Facebook has no such luxury. It's kind of um, just kind of left to the, the moods of its third uh, of its third party data providers. Um, it's just kind of in their hands, really. And then overall, Google is just less, way less reliant on mobiles in general. It's got over 2.5 billion Chrome users. Um, Rethink TV estimates that there are currently 183 million Android TV devices. And this is going to rise to 429 million by 2026. And so if a user steps outside one of Google's platforms, uh, they're very likely to just step into another. But Facebook's tight network of mobile apps is much easier to just dip out of and be completely lost. Um, and so, yeah, the, these two different things with the same name coming and going, I just thought was very um, symbolic of kind of, I guess, uh, imbalance that isn't necessarily spoken about that much, which is just really that Google is really on the front foot when it comes to advertising. And this kind of really brings it all back to the fact that Facebook is now called Meta because they're really pushing forward this new era that's, you know, obsessed with the metaverse. You know, that's what the company supposedly is now. Um, and this just kind of proves why that's so important, because if you own, you know, if you have a really early stake in the metaverse market and it takes off as much as the hype suggests it will, then essentially Facebook have a very early important stake in what easily could be the next web browser or the next mobile OS, like the next uh, kind of base platform on which advertising can be conducted. Um, 
and considering advertising is like 98% of their business, this is, you know, if the metaverse does take off, then it's a very smart move. But of course, that's a huge if. We're still decades away from that, you know, uh, coming to light. So we'll just have to see. But yeah, just these two tiny bits of news kind of made me realize why the metaverse is so important. Um, it is the, I don't know, if they can't own a phone and they can't own a smart TV platform or a web browser, uh, the metaverse is probably their next best option. Can't can't wait for the, the slimy hands to get all over the metaverse and uh, yeah, scuff it all up for us. But uh... You sound different from London, Rafi. More softly spoken. Uh, I think it's this terrible computer microphone. Uh, no. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, we didn't get any feedback, I don't think, on our audio quality uh, questions from, from the end of last last pod. So, um, yeah, let us know, everyone. But thank you very much, Rafi. Uh, we'll pay attention to DDA and uh, just see how, I don't know, how, how horrible it is for the rest of uh, society as a whole, I guess, um, as with all advertising. But tell you what's not horrible. It's bowling, and that's, that's my long-form uh, wild card for this week. So, Nagra's bowling deal with IBF sets pins for D2C strike. Um, so, I've I saw this a while ago, and I, I read it through, and it was it was it was sort of a bit interesting, but I sort of put it to the side. Um, and with a deeper dive, um, the International Bowling Federation um, picking Nagra to help fuel Strike Cloud as a digital transformation initiative is actually um, really quite interesting. Um, and just from like a, a writing perspective, um, most press releases you come across um, like to talk about the new thing uh, in like a fairly grand manner. And I just couldn't escape um, like early childhood memories of Megaball where you would like turn up and get those, you know, squeaky clown shoes, which uh, you know freshly sprayed with, with disinfectant and you'd turn up and hop all the kids up on, on sugar and, and get out on the bowling lane and there'd be some, you know, questionable team names, some very drunk adults on one lane and every so often, you know, dry ice and blasting music would go off. And I, it was it was a proper, like, fun day out, but I'm sure there were some exasperated parents sort of on the sideline. But, like, reading through the announcement for Strike Cloud, it, it was it was somewhat incongruous. Um, so it was it was fairly, like interesting to read through but I, I think that's part of the problem really because when most people think of bowling um you know they, they sort of think of something uh, out of the big lebowski or, or something like i was just rambling about but the the sort of scale of this opportunity is that the ibf reckons it has 225 million regular bowlers in the world and an audience of 20 million people who watch elite bowling and sure enough like elite bowling is on pay tv but you have to scroll down like a, a few pages in the, the sports channels to, to find it. But there's sort of 13,000 um, bowling centers, so you've got a fairly sizable like uh, infrastructure play, should, should you so uh, wish. But at sort of a 1% conversion from these 225 million people, you end up with you know 22.5 million users. And if the idea is to have a, a sort of digital transformation, sticky app marketing play with lots of user-generated content and the ability to sort of watch uh, bowling in like a D to C fashion, um, this is actually quite a, a disruptive uh, opportunity. So, um, digging a little bit deeper, we came across. Um, I mean, we, we had ideas earlier, which at least you know it's, it conveys something. But I think this might be the worst uh, worst name of the issue, and that's Sporfy, uh, which is Nagra's little um, sports highlight uh, package. But it, it seems like fairly pivotal to this, and and Sporfy initially is. It's like a software as a service. It's it's app um, lets you record 
uh, your kids playing football or lets you record in, in this instance a, a bowl and then it can generate a highlight and you can sort of watch the highlight immediately and you can see you know how well uh, you know the player played the ball or how well you you bowl this thing down the lane but then there's sort of advanced versions which go to sort of 40 dollars a month uh, which is like the live streaming option so if you want to broadcast this uh, sports action to the world that's where you do it uh, and then the only other tier um, above that doesn't have a price um, which suggests that it's uh, it's quite expensive but that's for businesses so like nagra seems to have had sporfy like up its sleeve and with the ibf and the scale of it um, i think there's quite a sort of large uh, opportunity there um, but we'll sort of just have to wait and see. But it, it was just a, yeah, it was a fun little piece to sort of dive into and, and uh, read a bit more detail on. And I think with that, we're probably going to end the long form content. And as a tradition, we'll move to the worth noting section from five years ago, Rafi. So five years ago, what was happening? Qualcomm was hosting a webinar on 60 gigahertz Wi-Fi. They said it was after it acquired Velocity, a 60 gigahertz chip maker in 2014. And it was just trying to generate more belief in the technology. Uh, it was promising 15 gigahertz of available spectrum, uh, a basic fire rate of 4.6 gigabits per second, and a much greater energy efficiency than five gigahertz uh, on a per megabyte delivered basis. Uh, but Faultline had aired concerns about the inability for such tiny waves to pass through walls in a house. But Qualcomm had just kind of brushed over these with lots of water baptisms, uh, and it was really unable to convince Faultline that 60 gigahertz would find any utility outside of docking stations in enterprises. And uh, even though the market had been stagnant since 2005, which was said at the time in 2016, Qualcomm was, you know, pretty passionate that this was about to change. Um, we are still waiting to be proved wrong. Nice. I was super hyped about uh, yeah, 60 gig docking stations removing all need for wires on, on desks, but no, that's barely happened. Um, but yeah, Tommy, any other little highlights from uh, Worth Knowing? Yeah, well, it's um, it's normally quite difficult, not difficult, but we, we sort of shy away from scrutinising Netflix just because it's so successful what it does, and it's really hard to um, criticise it. But th- this is something I couldn't help myself um, with, which is Netflix is hiring its own dedicated editorial team as part of these efforts to tell its own stories independently of like glossy Hollywood magazines and, and that kind of thing. And obviously that means complete and total bias. And the team is uh, is going to collate articles and photos and other multimedia elements into a CMS that then these web producers go off and sculpt into this um, obscene marketing monster. So yeah, not happy about that. Nice. Stick um, to video. Yeah, that sounds uh, horrendously curated, and uh, yeah, great. We've got that to look forward to. Um, so, all right, my final piece: uh, Intel acquired Remote My App, which was a Polish firm that had just uh, raised the big old funding round, and is providing Orange and Vodafone as well as Deutsche Telekom uh, with cloud game streaming stuff. Intel hopes that this will uh, help power sort of CPU and GPU sales um, as a way to sort of expand it uh, from just hardware into sort of software and services. Um, but I mean, Intel doesn't have a great track record there. So um, yeah, uh, maybe, maybe fingers crossed. Um, but I think that's the end of it, boys. I think that's the end of Faultline 914. And uh, I'm away on holiday next week. I'm off to Scotland. Um, and Tommy, uh, is, is anything lined up already? Yeah, well, you said it. I'm being double snaked next week so i've got to write an entire issue on my own so readers have got that to look forward to 
it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be a hectic week. And a solo pod. And a solo pod. I might solo pod actually. Yeah, yeah. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> you can do some impressions with me and Alex. <laughs> All right. Yeah, it's a bit of homework to do over the weekend. Get Albert involved. Hmm. Nice, sweet. All right. Um, cool. So uh, yeah, tune in next week, guys, for um, something a bit strange, maybe. Um, but if not. I'll see you in a couple of weeks. And uh, yeah, make sure you head to the website, uh, rethinkresearch.biz. You can check out Faultline there with a four-week free trial. Also, the Rethink TV uh, exec summaries are up there as well. Uh, of course, we're on social media and whatnot. Uh, and if you could, please leave us a little review on your podcasting app of choice. And we will see you soon. Take care. Bye-bye. Cheers, all. See ya.